Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom will start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, to Samaria. We saw that in Acts chapter 8, I think it was. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. And today we're going to see the, the conversion of Cornelius and his family, these Gentile people, these non-Jewish people, uh, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a very significant section of the book of Acts. Let's bow our heads as we open God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, powerful historical book uh, on the Acts, Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, thank you, Lord, that your Spirit is still at work bringing men and women to Jesus Christ. Please use us, Lord, to lead others to Jesus. And bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, take a Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 10. I'll give you a page reference in case you have any problem finding that. Page 1708. 1708. Let's get my notes, uh, which is actually my scripture here. <clears throat> In order, I've just been preaching to the Spanish. And uh, before we jump into the scripture here, I want to emphasize uh, one or two points. It's really hard for us to understand the kind of prejudice, the bigotry that was there in first century Judaism against the rest of the world. This lesson, and when we pick it up again in chapter 11 later, on some other occasion, uh, really shows us how deep-seated it was. And I think it's a challenge for every one of us to search our own hearts. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can, be, you can love the Lord Jesus Christ, but you can still be very, very wrong in the way that you react to certain groups of people. So this is a real soul searcher. This passage here has a lot to say about the way that we treat one another and the way that we interact uh, with the world in which, in which we, we live. In Acts chapter 10, it says that Peter, actually in, in the earlier verse, verse 43 of chapter 9, Peter is in a place called Joppa. Have you ever heard of that before? Joppa? Remember Jonah? It's called modern Jaffa. And I was on the beach there one day picking up stones, and I thought, wow, Jonah may have trod on these stones. So I brought them back uh, home with me, and I now have a little shrine at home where I worship them. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> I throw that in because Cornelius wanted to worship Peter, and Peter says, hey, I'm just a man. Don't do that. So we're at Peter's at Joppa, 
And then it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So this is a military man um, used to giving orders to, to other soldiers. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. Nothing wrong with that, okay? This is a good man. And there are good people in all stratas of society. But being good isn't enough. If it was, Peter wouldn't have to jump into this story. People need to know the gospel. They need to know about Jesus Christ. And Peter is going to fulfill that. Anyway, with Cornelius, it's about three in the afternoon, time of prayer. He has a vision, and he sees an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius is shaken in his boots. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now some commentators have pointed out that uh, to be a tanner was an unclean work, because you're dealing with the skins of dead animals. Don't know if we should read any significance in that, but we are going to deal this morning with what is clean and what is unclean. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So now we have a group of Gentiles who are seeking out this important Jew, Peter. About noon the following day, now the focus is on Peter because he has a vision. Two visions here this morning. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air, and a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, no devout Jew, who probably has the whole book of Leviticus memorized, is going to eat unclean food. The Bible does make a distinction on what is okay to eat, and what we should not eat. And you and I may not always know why that distinction is there. I mean, it would be very easy if God says, well, do not eat the pig, for example, because the pig is a walking garbage disposal and it's carrying disease. Well, then it's pretty clear. Unless God zaps the pig and gives it a different constitution, you and I don't want to eat it. And hey, this is an Englishman who loved his eggs and bacon Sunday morning. But as soon as I read that, when I was learning about uh, Adventism, then I stopped 
cold turkey, and I've never missed it to this day. And no matter what the Adventists say, stripples is not the same. So I steer clear of both. No stripples, no pig. Happy pasta then. So the voice spoke to him a second time. This is in verse 15. Do not call anything impure what God has made clean. Now Peter's really confused. He's been shown these, these uh, unclean animals. He's been told to kill and eat. He says, no way, Lord. But then the angel comes on even stronger. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened how many times? Three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. I want you to notice as we go through this chapter, and also when we pick it up in chapter 11 in, in a few weeks, I want you to notice how persistent God is and how deep-seated our prejudices are. I mean, after all, this is a man that was anointed in a very powerful way on the day of Pentecost. This is a man who loves the Lord, and yet he's still carrying these deep-seated prejudices. And of course, we're encouraged to search our own hearts when we come across this in Scripture. So while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was. They stopped at the gate. They're knocking on the door, so to speak, calling out for Simon, who was known as Peter, for he was staying there. So you got Gentiles at the door. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? And then they explained what happened with Cornelius and how Cornelius uh, needs to meet with them. So Peter, in verse 23, invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now, that's a problem. Here's one of the foremost leaders of the church who is inviting Gentiles. Now, Simon the Tanner may not have been, I don't know what, what category he would fall into, but this is still not kosher to invite them to spend time with Peter. The next day, Peter started out with them. That also would be a problem, traveling with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So Peter has his delegation. He knows that something significant is going on here. And he also knows he's going to have to do some explaining down the road. So he's smart enough to have this delegation with him. So the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives his close friends, Cornelius wants them all to know about God. Do we? Do we? Do you pray for your family, your loved ones, those that are not in the Lord? I hope so. So as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter says, whoa, stand up. I'm only a man myself. There is an example in the New Testament of a person who took the glory to themselves they worshipped him as a god. 
in their blindness and their foolishness. And it says that his body decayed and worms came out of his body. Take, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Oh, pastors love large gatherings. And he said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. You see how deep-seated this is? What a major problem it is. Here you have the Jewish people who are to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Where do we get this idea from that they were to be so isolationist and so prejudiced? Now, I know that there are plenty of places in the Old Testament that tell them to not associate with the surrounding nations, not to learn their customs, and so on and so forth. But when you go back to the promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12, for example, verses 1 through 4, all the nations were to be blessed with the promises made to Abraham. So it was always God's purpose. Yes, He may raise a nation up to achieve His purposes, but it was always God's purpose. It's important to understand this for all nations to learn about the way of salvation. Always. And it still is. And I know it's never going to be fulfilled, this gospel mandate, just in your power and in my power, and waiting for the pastors, it's just never going to happen. We've got to have every man and woman, boy and girl, equipped for warfare. We have to know what we're supposed to be sharing with people so that they can get saved. And it's very, very interesting, just before we get into this message of Peter, that the angel did not give the gospel message. God uses the agencies that is raised up, which is the church. That means you and me. Or people like Peter. Or we saw Philip. Or Stephen. It really doesn't matter who it is. It can be a boy and a girl, right? If they understand, if they have a relationship with Christ and they understand how to share Jesus, God will use them. He will use the very stones if He needs to. But notice here, the angel does his part. Peter has to do his part. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Verse 28. That's an important statement. Now, there are plenty of Bible commentators who, when they talk about this sheet with the unclean animals in it, say, there you are. It shows that this ceremonial uh, distinction has been swept away. Usually, I don't argue from a biblical point of view I approach it more from a health point of view, and I think, okay, well, if the, the pig is unfit for human consumption at one point in human history, uh, God has not changed the con constitution of the pig, so it's still unclean. But really, I don't get into these kinds of debates too deeply with people, because usually there are other 
more important issues. And there are more important issues here. This is not, this is not a vision on dietary reform. This is a vision on how we treat people. And this was always a problem with many of these Jewish people. We can see it with Peter, still a problem in Antioch. We read that from the book of Galatians. Those of you that are studying Galatians should remember that. In chapter 2 of Galatians, Peter was rebuked by Paul for cold-shouldering the Gentiles. So you can see, he's had his Pentecostal experience. He's had his sheet held down three times, numerous times, God is trying to get the point over to him. He says, now I see. Do you? Do you really see? You know, God is going to search every crevice of our heart. Do you see that God does not call any man impure or unclean? Do you show that God doesn't show favoritism? Do you see? Do you really see that God accepts all people who believe in Christ, no matter how much up to their neck in sin they are? God justifies the ungodly. Do you really see that? Because if you do, then you'll behave differently. That's the acid test. How we treat one another, how we treat other people. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So Cornelius explains and Peter starts to preach in verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went about doing good and healing, all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. What we are getting here are clues on how to share the gospel. So we see Jesus, a little bit of Jesus and his life. But we also see his death and his resurrection. Life, death, resurrection. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Verse 39, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. And God has raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that, that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm hauled before the judge and I know that that man is for me and not against me, I feel pretty good. Judgment for the Christian. Yes, it's solemn, but it isn't something to be feared. In a sense, Jesus says in John chapter 5, if you read that, there's some great verses in John chapter 5, the one who trusts in me has passed through the judgment. In other words, there's no negative verdict for the one who trusts in Jesus Christ. Some believe that part of the judgment for the Christian is not a matter of your salvation, but a matter of the rewards that you receive. Many have a prob problem with that. I, I don't personally have a problem with that. Uh, I don't mind being a door sweeper in the house of the Lord for the next uh, million years. Do you? I don't know what, what 
God will have me to do in, in the world to come, but I'm sure He has some spot uh, in mind for me. All the prophets testify about Him, Jesus. Jesus said, all Scripture testifies of Him. That everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. And, and while Peter's on a roll, he hasn't finished his sermon here. He's probably got some other points he wants to mention. If it was me, I would talk about he, he forgives you and He declares you righteous. But before he can get anything else in, God goes into action. And what we're actually going to see here is the Gentile Pentecost. In a sense, while Peter was still speaking these words, verse 44, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now how do we know that the Holy Spirit has come on them? The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, that's the Jews, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Now, you have to remember that Gentiles form the mass of world population. The Jews are a very, very small number. But it blows their minds that these promises that are made to Abraham can fall on other people than who they would normally think as being children of Abraham. And this is a massive issue. Who is the children of Abraham? Who are the children of Abraham in, in the Gospel of John, for example? Jesus had to wrestle with that one. For they heard them speaking in tongues, just like in Acts chapter 2, and praising God. Have you ever spoken in tongues? Have you ever praised God? <laughs> Maybe we're getting a definition of what tongues really is in this verse. Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being what? Baptized. Now these people are saved, right? Their sins are forgiven. They have the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in the Spirit, clearly. What more is needed? You know, when a person has met Jesus and when the Holy Spirit has entered their life, the Holy Spirit will say at some point, you need to be baptized. For me, I studied baptism like in correspondence lessons. I understood it but I didn't really understand it. I kind of understood it with my head, but not with my heart. But when I visited Seventh-day Adventist Church, the very first time I stepped into that church, there was a baptism going on. So you talk about a picture being worth a thousand words, and you better believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I saw these people being baptized, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to be in that water you need to be baptized. Why? To fulfill all righteousness? Maybe. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? He was without sin, wasn't He? But He says this is to fulfill all righteousness. This is a, it's an act of obedience. I was asked this week by a couple of phone calls that I got, uh, how do we know that someone has faith in Jesus? By their fruitage. 
And this is early fruitage. You want to be baptized. You know that God is living within you, and you want to be obedient. Now, there may be many other reasons why we want to be baptized, but fundamentally, it's because I love Jesus that you and I want to be baptized. So they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, some say, hey, no Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in baptism just mention the name Jesus. I don't read it. I don't interpret it that way. Uh, but the name of Jesus obviously is very, very crucial. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, I'll tell you for sure that during those few days, Peter's not talking about NFL football. Peter's not talking about the politics in Washington. What's he talking about? He's educating these people. He's discipling these new believers. For just a few days. And maybe God will bring other people into their life to continue that process. But it's important that we believe in Christ, that we get baptized in Christ, but it doesn't end there. This is the beginning of the journey. It's not the end of the journey. We need to disciple people. We need to, to stay close to them, teach them about more and more truths, especially about how to live this Christian life. Because you know that the Satan's going to be on the warpath against any new believer. He's going to do everything he possibly can to disturb them, to upset them, to get them to throw in the towel or whatever other approach he might have. Well, what are some of the lessons we can learn from Acts chapter 10? Well, obviously, an obvious one is no racial distinctions. It's not too many years ago that there was great prejudice in this, in this nation uh, against certain color of people's skin. We can have um, all sorts of distinctions and discriminations that we can, we can put some church members on a pedestal and, and lower other church members. We can have first-class Adventism and second-class Adventism we can have uh, sexism in the church. We can have nationalism in the church. We can have tribalism. We can have all sorts of divisions. And there is no group more divided on a Sunday morning than Christianity. And yet it's not here in Scripture. Now, we have negative examples in Scripture of divisions. Those of us who are studying... The book of Galatians can see Paul says, hey, if you carry on this way, biting and devouring one another, we don't want any Adventist cannibalism going on, do we? Because we're all veggies. So we don't devour one another, do we? We can see in the church of Corinth, what an absolutely talented church Corinth was. Spiritual gifts popping out all over the place. And yet, divided into cliques. Putting one another down. 
And when it comes to communion, which is coming up pretty soon here, we find that God allowed some of them to sleep or get sick because of the way they were treating one another and the lack of respect for one another and ultimately the lack of respect for God. And I'm so glad that we had this emphasis this morning in Galatians on loving one another. This is the real test of our Adventism. How do we treat one another? And then, of course, when we leave this building, when we leave this church family and go out into the larger community out there, how do we treat those people? We're also seeing in Acts 10 a totally new worldview. We're moving away from a Jewish emphasis, even though Christianity will never, ever truly disassociate itself from Judaism. It grew out of Judaism. But the, the danger here is what we saw in Samaria. Would there be a schism in the church between this group of believers and this new group of believers? Well, God is on top of all of that. And He's making sure that there's no separation. You may be a Jew, you may be a Gentile, but in Christ, you're all equal. That's the message there. And that's totally new way of looking at things. Also, I want you to notice, if you have been listening in the series here, how the Holy Spirit falls. Sometimes the Holy Spirit falls before baptism. We've seen examples in the book of Acts of that. We've seen examples where the Holy Spirit falls at baptism. And we've seen examples where the Holy Spirit comes after baptism. The Holy Spirit, the third person the Godhead, is sovereign. So God can move in mysterious ways. And we should expect that. In fact, Jesus says when he talked to Nicodemus, said, how can this be? And Jesus says, the wind blows where it will. You do not know where it's coming from. You don't know. So is everyone that is born of the Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you to go through some of these passages in Acts and underline every time it's mentioning the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's at work here and is using people like Peter, Philip, Stephen, and others, Paul, to achieve his ends. So the gospel is for all. What is that gospel? It's the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to throw judgment in, I have no problem with that. It's a good thing to throw in and remind people that Jesus is coming back again. We have a service at 2 o'clock this afternoon. I'm going to be preaching on John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. God did not call us to condemnation. Okay, so that's the good news of Jesus. But you've got to throw in the second coming of Jesus. It's like salvation is a big, long process. Jesus came and lived. He went and died, rose from the dead, ascended up to heaven, and He's going to come back. And all of those pieces are important. Why are they important? When, when Jesus comes back, we will receive a, re a resurrection, a heavenly body, a glorified body. 
the gift of immortality. How good is that? And also I want to mention as we wrap up here that God works through the agencies of the church. The angel did not preach the gospel. It was left to Peter to do that. If you would like more information on these great racial problems in the church, you have to jump into Acts chapter 11. You have to go to Acts chapter 15 where they had a huge Jerusalem council on, on what was expected of the Gentiles. And also that passage in Galatians 2 is important too, where Paul took Peter on face to face. And uh, we need a, a multiracial, a multicultural new society, new community. See, the Jewish people did not fulfill their commission. So God raised up another church family, and we call that the church. It's you and me, people who believe in Jesus Christ. And we're not going to fail like they failed, right? We're not going to be bigoted. We're not going to cold shoulder certain people because we're rich and they're poor, or whatever the issue might be. We're not going to have this male-female divide. You visit a, a, a synagogue today, you'll see the men on one side, you'll see the women on the other side. You go to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, where they're all praying, and yet they're divided. And I, and I, think, I think it's a very relevant message. This is not a 2,000-year-old message. This is something that's bang up to date. We've got to become this new, all-inclusive society where we embrace people where they are, and our whole goal is to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to use us, to, that the Holy Spirit can know that, we, that people are safe with us. He's not going to send them to a toxic community who's still living in the, in the way of the flesh, in the old way before we came to Christ. But this new community, this new society that love God with all of our heart and love our neighbors as ourselves. And no matter how they look, how they smell, how they are dressed, whatever the color of their skin is, male, female makes no distinction because God doesn't distinguish. Neither should we. We embrace all people. What a powerful church. Wouldn't you like to belong to a church like that? Well, it can only happen when you and I determine that in our hearts we're going to treat people with the same respect that God treats them. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. We praise you for the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this exciting period in the book of Acts where this gospel of Jesus uh, moved out from the Jewish world into a non-Jewish world. Lord, we belong to that world. And we thank you for people like Peter and, and, and later Paul uh, which used, that you used in a very powerful way to bring the good news uh, to them. Lord, we, we stand on their shoulders. We can learn from them, whether it's their, their strengths or their weaknesses. Examine our hearts this morning, Lord. Uh, root out the, the deep-seated prejudices that can be there. Just bring them out. May your love just, just extinguish them. And Lord, make this, this church family here at Anderson into everything that Jesus would be proud of, is our prayer in His name.
Amen.